Hi, I'm Dan Krikorian. And I'm Patrick Carney. And we're Slapping Glass. Welcome to Slapping Glass, where we explore basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're excited to welcome the head coach of Iceland's national team, Craig Peterson. Coach Peterson is here today to discuss the details of practice planning, using non-shooters in an offense, playing through the post, developing playbook ideas, and flip the script on us to ask his own questions during the overrated or underrated segment. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please leave us a review and a rating. Follow us for daily detailed breakdowns on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. And subscribe to our Sunday morning newsletter where we consolidate and break down much of the best that we've seen from the world of basketball. And now, please enjoy our conversation with Coach Craig Peterson. One of the things that, you know, we've watched a lot of your film and have been so impressed by your teams over the last, you know, five to six years. And one of the things that we wanted to dive into right away is your ideas and kind of philosophy on potentially using a non-shooter within your offense, ways to still create advantages with a non-shooter. So whether it's a, a non-shooting big or maybe a wing that can't quite knock it down from the outside, what are some ways that you can still utilize that player on the floor to help create advantages for your offense, even though they're a non-shooter? It's, it's usually Icelandic players. Usually they can all shoot. But once in a while, if we have a player who's not, not uh, really that comfortable with it or good at it, then he's, it's usually uh, one of our um, forwards. And we've been using in that scenario lately is them as the screener and going into the pocket and being a distributor from there and also being able to drive from that, that area if, if that's what opens up. Also, um, you know, at times using them on the perimeter just to, to be able to move the ball, you know, from side to side, um, as opposed to it always being the, the wings of the guards that are doing it. And then also just using their speed up the court to set early ball screens, things like that. When you're using them for the screening action, what are you teaching them on the screens as far as to get out and get into that pocket, as you mentioned? A lot of times it's, um, you know, when we've scouted teams on how they're playing defense, then we'll we'll work on it a lot um, and uh, have different offenses that um, go against different kinds of defenses, but also different offenses depending on who we have on the floor. So a couple of years ago, we it took us a while to get going having two bigs on the floor where neither one of them was a was a, an outside threat. That, that was difficult, but we managed to adjust and, and become okay at it. But it's something that we, for a long time, we didn't have to deal with because we always had five guys that could shoot three-pointers on the court. But with uh, Trigvi, you know, who's actually got a very nice touch, but... Um, you know, with him out there now, um, more and more and more, um, the game is going, you know, we're structuring our game more and more around him, obviously. But when we do have that maybe non-shooter at the four spot as well, then then there's some offenses that we have that um, 
help pair them together. So maybe if one of them setting a ball screen, the other one's down along the baseline. We, we did that a couple of years ago and, and it took us, like I said, a bit to get going with it, but we finally found some success with it. Coach, on that point, um, you mentioned Trig V and, you know, uh, a seven footer, or he might even be a little bigger than seven feet. Um, you know, for a long time, I know you were playing a little bit of a smaller lineup against some of these bigger national teams. And the way you were creating advantages in the offense was, you know, a lot of great movement and screening and cutting. And now that you have a, a bona fide great big man that can post and be a legitimate threat there, how or if it has at all changed your philosophy from the offensive side of the ball having him there? It's changed a lot. Um, you know, we got to change with uh, the different kind of players we're getting in. And and uh, when I, you know, after my first couple of years there, when he started to be a part of the practice group, but wasn't quite ready to play, we had uh, Klinner Bangson as our center, who's, you know, about uh, uh, two meters tall and but just a beast on the boards and could shoot three pointers. But now, you know, um, with Trigby and and he literally he gets better and better every time he comes back and, and is with us. It's it's amazing the development and how much he just improves all the time. Um, and now, like you said, he's become more and more of a, a threat in the low post. So we have different things we do off of when he gets the ball in the low post, um, depending on what the other team does. Do they do they double team? If they do, we we have different cuts and reads off of that. Of course, a lot of pick and roll stuff and Trigby picks up stuff extremely fast so he can either roll or he, he works well in the pocket and is able to distribute the ball from, from there as well. So, and I've also noticed with his team and in Zaragoza this year, at times they use him handling the ball out the top while the guards are setting split screens for each other. And uh, that's just great for us because um, we like to use him in that role too. So the more experience he's getting with that, the, the better it is for us. When you do throw it to him in the post, if you don't mind, can you go into a little more detail about if they are doubling, what are the reads that you're teaching your guys out of that? It sometimes depends what angle the double comes from. If it comes on the baseline, sometimes we just cut the guy on the baseline. And then, you know, the guy on the wing's got to adjust so that he's got a clear, you know, window to pass it out there. That, that's been the main one. But uh, yeah. the most important thing is just making sure somebody cuts. Because a lot of times, you know, you get guys just standing on the outside and, and it becomes, uh, in some games, there's a lot of easy points to get with those cutters. And like I said, Trigby is an extremely good passer and uh, he's got very good awareness of, um, you know, when, when he's getting double teamed and when he can take it and when he, when he can't. Um, they just, the, the players we've tried to work on a lot with uh, reading off of each other. If the, the guy in the 45 thinks he's got a cut, then he can go for it. Then the, the guy in behind him's got to sort of adjust to, to make a, a pass from Trigby available there also. You mentioned that, you know, Trigby's getting better and better out of that post spot. How does uh, having, you know, a dominant post player like that, as opposed to before you having a smaller lineup, how does that change your thought process going into a game if you know they're going to try to double team them as a coach and you don't have to give your secret sauce away obviously <laughs> on game plan stuff but are you going to actively try to seek out that advantage quickly saying you know we know they're going to double them so we're going to try to establish him in the post as early and often as possible or will you kind of just run more of your natural motion and play off that yeah we that's we try and just um run you know our natural sets and the ball will get there at, at some point 
we're trying to have all the players to to try and get into a flow on the court um and and so we want to so we don't just run them into the post and and dribble it up and throw it in there right away we try and get some movement and get some guys uh, a feel for the game and involved in the game but um obviously you know we want to have uh shooters around him um maybe even uh more so than before so we're very aware of who we we need to bring in at different times to to play together with him pivoting a little bit to screening and teaching the art of screening angles timing and all that um one thing that i've noticed a lot in watching your team play is how good they are decision making as far as getting out of the screen you know once they have a advantage creating uh, the hard sprint rolling to the rim and ceiling could you go into a little bit of detail your thoughts on how you teach screening angles and timing Luckily, the club coaches, both in Iceland and out in their their um, you know the clubs they play in with Europe in Europe, have done a good job of teaching them all different ways of doing things. Um, because, for example, in this next window, we practice Tuesday and Wednesday and play Thursday. So there's not an overly uh, amount of time to to go into details with that stuff. But maybe there'll be a comment from me or one of the assistant coaches on how fast we want them to leave the screen. Um, depending on what the defense is doing. And, uh, you know, I, I like to talk a lot about what reading, they need to read the defenses on their way into a screen. So if they're sort of looking over their shoulder towards the hoop and the defender's not there, then it's a good idea to slip because they're probably hedging out or looking to switch early. Um, just little things like that. But, you know, in these short windows right now, we're trying not to give them an over amount of information um, and they got to go a little bit on how they know how to do things um, already because um, we, we can't go and change everything, um, you know, in two days and then expect them to change it back again to play maybe differently in their club team. So we're, we're trying to, to let them play um, a lot by feel actually with some basic concepts and, uh, you know, we're trying to play together. If they are in like a drop defense on that pick and roll, are you having the, do you want your big man maybe to hold the screen a little bit longer to let your guard come off and maybe attack the big, or do you prefer get out and then start to sprint and get behind the drop defender? I I like the hold the screen a little bit more. Yeah. I think with the guards we got, they can, they, they, they make good decisions and they're good shooters and good shooters off the dribble. So, you know, looking to attack that guy and, and maybe if they're going to the rim, having Trigby sort of coming in from a better angle, you know, instead of, you know, uh, to both rebound, but also maybe get a little bit of a pass backwards on the run. So, you know, it, it could be that that's the game plan, but we might quickly see that, you know, something else might look better so we can just, you know, we change it on the on the go and it's it's not a... Not a problem. And like I said, a, a guy like Trigvi and the other center we have, Christopher Acox, they're very good at adjusting and changing things on the fly. Going to now the, the training windows or the individual practice themselves, how are you approaching the warm-ups with these guys? Is it the goal just to get their bodies moving or what are you trying to emphasize with, with a warm-up? I was actually working on that today. What we're going to do is, is uh, first of all, I want to have a lot of shooting for the players because up in Iceland, everything's been closed down uh, for at least three weeks now. So all nobody's practicing. Nobody's allowed in a gym. And that's 
uh, from what I hear, are going to be the case for at least, you know, the next three weeks before we go to these games. So these players will not, or, or the ones coming from Iceland, have not been in a gym for six weeks. Oh. Um, and you can imagine practicing outside in Iceland is maybe not the same as practicing inside. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> right. So I, I've already talked, we've already talked, my, me and the assistants about, um, you know, we, we want to make sure we get a lot of shooting in. But once we go into uh, drills, uh, I'm going to do some shooting drills out of the offenses so that when we go immediately into defense, we have something to run against the defense we want to work on. So that we're kind of tossing everything in at once, like the, the going through the offensive concepts and shooting drills, that will be a part of warm up. So we're kind of not separating everything. We're kind of putting it into one sort yeah. of uh, just because of time and, and we need to be as efficient as possible. And they also, uh, especially that first day I want them, we want to play a bunch so that the players can kind of get used to each other. That's what the plan is right now to, to build the offense and shooting drills into, into warm up. In a general sense, just as far as like practice planning, will you within the practice plan, you know, put too much in knowing you're going to have to cut some stuff out as practice goes along, or are you going to try to make it perfectly to the time a lot? No. I'm, I'm, I definitely usually put too much stuff in. Okay. So I, I mean, I like to, I like to, in the past, I like to have a lot of, um, a lot of different things and a lot of quick hitters. So there's some practices where I got a huge list of things that I want to go through and, and it's, you can quickly see it's just not happening. The last couple of years with these windows, I've had to, you know, reduce a lot of those quick hitters and stuff and, and different little things um, just because there's not time to work on them. And, and if you try and put too much in, in two days, you're just going to end up confusing everybody. So we've cut back a lot on that, but of course, um, you know, I, I like to have some different things to, to show. Um, We need to, you know, when we're, especially when we're playing against the big countries, you, you know, we need to have some kind of a surprise or at least an action they haven't seen before. Um, not that that's going to trick them, but just so that they're not on completely on the same page as, as far as what we're doing, just because those teams are so good. It just helps to have something that, you know, you can pull out that they haven't seen maybe. Within these sh- short windows, um, you know, and, and the practice short windows, are you utilizing at all any three on three or four on four? Or does it just make, too much sense just we're gonna go five on five and build yeah. the continuity and yeah yeah but with these this short stuff in the in the summer when we had those three days of practice we did a lot of um three on zero going through different um reads in different uh, you know situations depending on how defenses were playing but not three on three not four on four anytime we were playing it was five on five so we could cover more things and and uh and in these windows though the, there won't be any of it it will be five on five in the past when we had long summers to prepare we we would break down almost everything with also with the the double teaming baseline when we were uh, uh, switching everything and double teaming on the baseline we'd play two on two in the low post you know uh, a post on each side uh every day in practice every day yeah. Okay. So and and build it out from there. You mentioned you know that the short windows of time and whatnot. Uh, interested in your practices, what 
the roles of your assistant coaches are on the practice floor, what you want them to look at or, or how they are involved in your practice? They have and always have had a huge role. Um, when I started in Iceland, the, co- the team I was coaching here in Svenborg, my assistant was the assistant in Iceland before I started. So the, the, the double teaming baseline defense, the switching defense came from the coach before me, uh, Peter Ulquist from, from Sweden. So my assistant knew all of it from, from him. So he's the one that put, you know, showed me the details of it and kept that going for us. Um, and then the last couple of years, um, with the with Trinkvi being more and more a part of the, um, you know, our plan, I still have the assistant coaches. They kind of take care of the defense. You know, of course, I give my opinion on stuff, but I let them sort of take care of that. And then I'm taking care of the offensive stuff and and what I want done in offense. But again, they are more than you know. It's very open. They they can comment and tell me what they think about the offensive stuff. You know, of course, a lot of stuff gets tossed to the side because I come with a, a you know, a playbook this this thick and uh, <laughs> it's got to be whittled down. But they, they have a very big say in, in, of course, the defense, but also, you know, offensive stuff. If I come with something, they might say, yeah, but that's not fitting this group we have this time. Um, so they, they, they're very welcome and to come with ideas also. And they do. They're great. I'm curious, someone like yourself that does like to have a thick playbook and all sorts of various actions when you go to learn or study someone else or to try to find new actions how do you do that what's your process of trying to seek out different stuff to add into your team one of the big ones i, I use right now is um i don't know if i don't know if i pronounce his name right but ryan uh Pannon? yeah yeah he was on this podcast <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah when when he puts stuff i love the stuff he puts out and if I see something and I can quickly think of a player that we could use in that position, then, then I, I, I will write it down and me and the assistant coaches will talk about it. But also before I've, you know, just I search um, YouTube after stuff, um, just, you know, basically, um, you know, put in the, um, you know, type in whatever action I'm looking to, to, to look for. Um, or go through like uh, Brad C- Stevens stuff from Boston Celtics. He runs a lot of stuff that I can sort of translate into some of our players that, that I like. And, you know, there's stuff being posted all the time all over the place. And if I see something that catches my eye or an action that could be good for for Martin or one of our guards, then then I, I write it down and, and um, sort of keep it in my, my stack. So I actually just... Uh, my old assistant in Iceland, he just sent me something today that, that we'll use um, in the next window. And it's the thing I like about it, it's uh, it kind of looks, or no, it ends up like a play we had many years ago, but it's out of something that we already use. We, so it's, it, uh, it won't be that hard to put in. Okay. Uh, and I think it fits the players that we have in this window coming up. So mm-hmm. um yeah, so I just got something today. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and kind of digging in a little bit on that point, when, when when you put together your offense and then you're going to put in these twists or these little variations, in general, I guess, how many like base actions would you say, like you have a thick playbook, but do you have yeah. say four or five base actions, then you have 20 twists based off the base action, or how does that work? Yeah, yeah. Um... 
like for this uh, next window, we'll probably have, I would say three or four, yeah, four base actions. And then maybe two or three calls off of each one of them for for this window. And then maybe two or three quick hitters um, that aren't sort of off of any of the bases. But um, those base actions, you know, some of them will be new and some of them will be some that we've used before. Coach, we would like to pivot to a segment that's been a lot of fun on the podcast called Overrated or Underrated. Okay. (laughs) You're you're not on the hot seat, but uh, we're going to ask you. (laughs) Okay, let's see. Let's see how this works. So we're going to just give you um, a topic and if you could say if you think it's overrated or underrated and then um, briefly why, and we can have a discussion around it as well, but um, it's a lot of fun. So to start, something nice and simple for you, but to start, overrated or underrated, the famous Icelandic hot dog? Oh, <laughs> I've seen the, the famous wagon with the lineup, like a crazy lineup in the middle of winter. But I, I got to admit, I've never tried it. Okay. <laughs> um, my 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 brother has visited me in Iceland a few times, and he's tried it, um, and I think it's pretty good. Okay. But um, I, I would have to say, I hope I don't get in trouble, but I, I would have <laughs> to say overrated just because it hasn't caught my attention so much that I got to stand in that lineup. Okay. Yeah. And that's just for me because I can tell you that lineup is there like 24 hours a day. Yeah. It's crazy. So, <laughs> so what, what are some of the, the Icelandic foods that if people go have to try that in your opinion are underrated? I'm, I'm lucky because, uh, Iceland is a big, you know, fish country and I like fish. Okay. So the, um, I would say the lobster soup. Okay. The lobster okay. soup. Very good. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. All right, Coach. My uh, overrated, underrated for you, a 45 pick and roll, just your traditional side pick and roll, not a slot, not a top pick and roll. These days, I guess it's with the defenses being so good, I guess it's uh, uh, maybe overrated. Okay. I don't know. It just seems that they're not coming from there very often anymore because of the spacing and just, I mean, teams are so good on defense these days. It seems like they want to be able to be in a position where they can more in the middle more so that they can get the ball all over the court easier. And the passing that that these players do at a high level is amazing, but I I like it still. I like it still. Sure. Like, so. Is it something you'll use in your offense or where do you like to kind of orientate your, your ball screens? We have some both at the, the top but we have we we have some on the side too okay we have some on the side so um there's situations where it's where it can it's good for us and some of the things we we have done in the past so yeah we've used it quite a bit so but we we're doing it you know in a lot of different places and some sometimes it just depends on who's on the court which players we have on the court and who's good at what and who likes to have the ball where so so that determines a lot as well Okay. Will will the type of defense you think they're going to play determine? Like if I mean if they're hard hedging, is a side ball screen good or bad? Is there some a defense that maybe you think we could really get a good advantage of by running a side pick and roll? Yeah, just because if we move the ball out of it right, then sometimes it opens up the roller on on that angle better than just going from the passer. Um, but we do try to have you know obviously calls for 
different play calls depending on what the defense is doing, or at least different reads and try and help the players with what we see to, you know, just give them some clues sometimes. If yeah. the team is doing something, you know, we talk about, you know, where we want the ball to go after the pick and roll. Overrated or underrated as a strategy, changing your defense after a timeout? I would say it's underrated. I mean, I think it's it's a very good thing to do, um, especially if it's the, of course, the other team that's taken a timeout and you know they've been struggling. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. and it's funny. It's funny you qu- asked that because uh, at the the school I, I coach at, um, I coach at like a boarding school for 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 basketball players and some others, and uh, the coach I coach with there. He's kind of my mentor, and I played with him for a long, against him for a long time, or sorry, for him for a long time. And then I was coaching against him, and he used to do that coming out of every timeout, and it it always screwed me up. It always <laughs> screwed me up. But but he did it. Used to do it so much that everybody knew that if they wanted a, a, to go against zone, then they just call a timeout because he was in man. He switched to zone to so get zone for a play. So uh, no, but I think it's. Um, it, I think it's underrated. I think it's a very, it can be a very effective thing because a lot of players, especially inexperienced players, you know, when the team goes back to the defense they were preparing for, they've forgotten what the coach talked about in the timeout or it's not as clear Yeah, and they're maybe not as sharp. So yeah. we, we do that at times also. If you go into a timeout and you're playing against a coach that you know traditionally likes to switch things up in that timeout, you you have the ball offensively now. Will you potentially call two play calls saying, hey, if they come out in this, we're here. If we come out in that. I'm more, I, I like to, um, you know, quite often, if, if we're on offense and like have the ball baseline out of bounds, then I will maybe comment that we're running this play. But if they're in zone, then this is where the screens are going to be. And then I, I've always been big on telling players that, you know, if, if you come up the court, and you call uh, a man-to-man play, and the other team pops into zone. You just keep running that play, okay? Um, because usually there's more movement in a man play, anyways. Right. And I just believe that if you set the same screens and keep moving, that something's going to come up. So that's the way I, I go about it. I call a play and say, "Listen, if they're in, if they're in zone, we're we're still going to run the same play." Great. Going back to now, you're going to be the defense after a timeout. You know, with the FIBA rules, they can take it out full court with the 24 or half court with a 14 second. Will that determine uh, your kind of defense coming out of a timeout, depending on where the offense is going to take the ball out of bounds? We haven't experienced that yet, but, you know, in certain games where maybe the team has it out at uh, the only difference I will do sometimes is sometimes at the end of the game, when you know it's if there's there's not you know, let's say there's 12 seconds left and you know the team's not in a rush to get a shot. I try and tell the players, well, it depends who we're playing, to be aggressive on the inbounds pass and go for a steal because I just feel like a lot of teams are, are trying to get the ball in to set something up and, and that's an area you can be aggressive in. I, I mean, of course, without fouling or without unrealistically going for it, but if the opportunity is there to be aggressive... Yeah. But um, I, I don't switch our defense depending on it's taken out full court or, or half court, um, or at least we haven't done it yet. Who knows? It might come up in the next window where it's a situation where we think that that's the best thing to do. But I haven't done that before based yeah. on those rules. So it just hasn't really come up, actually. So, yeah. 
All right, coach. My, the next one I have for you is the jump stop overrated or underrated. I, I would say actually it depends what level are we talking about? Because for the example, the kids at my school, they need to, you know, they're jumping up in the air. They don't know where the hell they're going with the ball and it's a turnover every time they need to be jump stopping or at least have a plan when they jump in the air. Uh, but we like them to be under control. But these these high level players, I mean, you know, it's different for them. But I, I would say it's uh, underrated. Just, I mean, you need to be able to get yourself under control and and stop under control and and on balance and stuff like that. And and uh, you know, it's it's rarely talked about anymore. So I, I would just say underrated, I guess. No, yeah. I mean, I think you'll see. I mean. I agree with you for sure at the lower levels. It's an important fundamental, but I think yeah. Yeah, everyone sees the high levels where it's all this pass out of the dribble, pass with the one hand. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of where I ask is, you know, has the jump stop kind of gone away or is it discouraged because they feel it's you're slowing down the offense by not getting off the ball quick enough with the way the defenses recover. Yeah. Yeah. I know for us, like here at the, at the college level, we warm up. You know, one of our warm-up drills is is jump stops. You know, jump yes. stop pivots, working on that, and it's, it's yeah. simple but effective. Yes. Yeah. Okay, coach. Overrated, underrated. The flare screen. Oh, un- underrated. <laughs> I had a feeling you're going to say that. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's extremely difficult to to defend. Uh, I think, and if if you're playing a team and you haven't scouted for it or you didn't you don't know that that's in their their sort of game plan it's it's difficult to defend i mean we had a lot of problems with switzerland for a long time because they're running a lot of flares and and circle action and running all over the place and it took us a while before we really you know at least had a little bit of an idea of how to defend it but you, you can't just yell it out to guys i mean you you have to work on it and and work a lot on it um and it's um it's, it's difficult. So I would definitely say underrated. Well, Coach, just on that, I, so much of your great action, I know, is set up off of a flare or flare slip. Yeah. And um, I know as a defensive player, it's so hard when the action's coming from behind you, harder yes. to communicate it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. How are, how are you teaching your guys to def- defend a flare? You know, if, you, if they can't switch, if it's not a similar position. Against Switzerland, they ran a lot of that circle action. So they're coming off a flare and then, if you follow them, then then they're going to loop underneath the hoop and then maybe come out back out the same side or, or go off a down screen on the other side. But we were going um, over the top with them, and then the guy that's checking the, the flare screener, he he sags off and takes the, the curl to the hoop. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, because Switzerland was extremely good at if you go underneath that, then they're going to pin down for the guy right away coming back, and they're just shooting it in. I mean, (laughs) we experienced that uh, last summer. So um, they're very effective and very well coached in it. So we we chase over the top. And then, uh, yeah, like I said, the guy checking the flare screener, he would um, sag off and and take up as much space as he could. Okay, Coach, uh, my next one I have for you is uh, hedge defense. Um, What's the answer that's right in between? (laughs) (laughs) properly rated yeah Yeah. properly rated yeah i I just know you know so many teams put an emphasis now in the game on on that short roll and you know getting the ball there um 
So are teams more reluctant in your opinion to like really be an aggressive hedge or you'll see a lot of like the short show and recover? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. I mean, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it's, I, I don't think it's either overrated or yeah. underrated. Yeah. So I would have to say, but I got one for you guys. Okay. okay. I love it. Turn the table. <laughs> it's the, it's the, it's the one hand pass. I think it's underrated. Yeah. I, I mean, at the, at the top levels, I, I think it's really underrated. Okay. Top levels. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, teaching youth camps and stuff and summer camps here, I mean, we're teaching the two hand chess pass and trying to not yeah. do the one handed, but as our guys, you know, the college level, sometimes the one handed pass, especially off the dribble or a back door or post entry is yeah. just more, I think more effective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But I think also like going from like the top towards the wing and just, you know, getting it out quick. But I think there's, I think there's too many young kids doing it that don't have control of the ball yet. And, and uh, it's, I, I think that kind of pass sometimes should be, can, can wait until they're a little bit more developed, you know, but yep. yeah. No, I, to kind of piggyback, I mean, I agree. I think kind of like the intermediate step too is just learning to pass maybe outside of your body still with like yeah. two hands, but you know, yes. these passes, you know, get control of the ball and, and also that way you can, you can, you know, you can pump fake with the ball too, you know, or yeah. pull it back if it's not, not, yeah. So, but um, it's a, it sure is effective when you see it done, done properly and done well. So yeah, absolutely. For sure. Make so. it look easy. How about bounce passes on the perimeter? Not really overrated or underrated, but is that something you discourage? Yeah, I would say that it's, I'm not crazy about them because they're, they're slow. I mean, when, we're, you know, working on different uh, kind of help defenses and stunt defenses. Um, for example, I'm always trying to get the players to get their, their hand out in that direct passing lane, because if they throw a bounce pass, it's a, just a slower pass. Yeah. Uh, or if they got to bring the ball up and throw it from up here, you got an extra little bit to recover when they're taking the ball from up here. But if you just let them, you know, throw it right through the, the meaty part, on a, on a line, then it's just going to get there that much faster. So, um, I would say that, you know, on the perimeter, I'm not crazy about bounce passes. No. Also with the, you mentioned you, you had a lot of shooters. Do your shooters go crazy when they receive a bounce pass? Cause I was always taught, don't give a shooter a bounce pass, give them a chest yeah. pass for a shot. Well, when we're doing shooting drills, I, I certainly frown upon bounce passes to the, to, to the shooter, but I guess sometimes it's gotta it's gotta be one maybe, but uh, yeah. in general, usually you're you're getting it a nice hard pass right into the shooting pocket. Yeah. All right, coach. Uh, I'm anxious to hear your response. Over under pregame speeches. Um, yeah, they are underrated. Underrated. Okay. okay. I, th- I think. Um, I, I think again, it depends. I mean. Yeah. There, there can, you know, there can come out a, a lot of important information there. Um, for example, going into these short windows when we don't got a t- enough time to hammer stuff into them, you know, there's there's some maybe key points that need to be gone over again because, um, you know, we haven't been together except for those three days in in July. So you got to re-emphasize some things that aren't hammered home through maybe six weeks of practice, like we've had some summers. And, you know, there's some coaches that are extremely good at the 
getting the players pumped up and I, I guess it would depend on the the, the coach and the, the situation also but yeah. um, mm-hmm. I feel that for us coming up there's a lot of information or things that we need to go over in the pre-game speech so it's it's going to be very important in this window at your level with guys being such a high level player do you find yourself um, trending in a pre-game speech more towards the you know, tactical, strategical talk, what they're going to do out on the floor or, you know, what's the balance between that and sort of an inspirational message as they're leaving the locker room? Yeah, but uh, um, again, because of these windows, it will be a lot of, you know, of course we will, will, we will have had meetings at the hotel during the day and gone through things. So I'm, uh, I'm thinking actually we'll probably keep it short and just go through a couple quick pointers and then, and then, you know, just talk about, you know, the, then the, the motivational stuff about playing hard and playing together and, and, uh, you know, you know, mentioning what the goals are and, uh, and where we want to get to or get back to. So not, not an overly long time. And are, are your assistants speaking as well? Or is it just you? They will also, um, come with the pointers with regard to defense, just to go over sharply, Hey, we're doing this to start the game. And we got to be aware of this action or this action. Um, definitely, they're they're going to um, be saying something. Coach, follow up in these in these short windows. Do you feel it's more important to understand the actions of your opponent or the the players that your guys will be going up against? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would. I, I, I'm I'm sorry. I got to say both. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> that's be, because just because I think that. You know, for example, when we played Slovakia last year, they, they had some they have some really good players and they have their coach ran some actions that were fit them very well. And the fact that we knew how these players played, but also the actions, it gave us a little bit better chance to I wouldn't say stop them, but, um, you know, stop them sometimes be, be a little bit more prepared defensively, knowing what the players like to do and what actions they were going to get the ball in to to be able to do those things because once in a while you can't focus on all 12 players on the other team once in a while a guy will come off the bench and hurt you because you're not you know you know that okay he's he's basically a spot-up shooter because that's what he does in his home club but then he comes in and he surprises you because wow he can really take the ball to the hoop you know and you're just it just catches off guard maybe or you didn't realize that the guy pounded the glass every time on the offensive end because that's not what he does as a club team on in his club team, but that's what the national team coach has him do. Quick follow up to that coach: as a coaching staff, when you are scouting, how much of yeah the home club games are you watching of these players, or are you just really relying on their national team games? Well, it depends. First of all, how, how much national team stuff we have on them. Because, for example, sometimes some of these teams these days, maybe their big star hasn't been there the last eight games, and now now he's coming into play again. So do you want national team games that were three years ago with a different coach? So sometimes we look to see what he's doing recently, and we'll try and find uh, nat- uh, club team games. And sometimes we've gone you know, and, and tried to find video of the the coach's team. So we're, we're kind of scouting the coach as well to see what kind of philosophy he kind of has and the way he likes to do things, even though most guys will adjust to, to what team they have. Um, but we've done that before, tried to find video on, on a upcoming coach's club team. 
Interesting. Good stuff. Well, well, Coach, thank you. You're you're off the overrated, underrated hot seat. <laughs> Thanks for yeah. But I got one more for you guys. Oh, yeah, I love it. Okay, All right. let's do it. <laughs> okay, this one because this one. Yeah, I can tell you how I feel about it after, but okay. the all the talk in the I, I feel these days all the talk in the NBA it's not about the the teams it's about the individual players. I think it's just gone way overboard. Um, but anyways, what do you guys think about the well overrated underrated about um, greatest player of all time? Oh wow. What do you think about that conversation? The conversation or who we think is the greatest player of all time? No, the, the conversation about it. I think it's overrated. Yeah, overrated. I I mean, when I was playing and even now, the the amount of conversations I had to listen to on the bus about the, this talk drove, drove me crazy. I mean, it's the same conversations every year just with the different imports that are coming in and out okay. uh, in, my, in my experience. So I think, yeah. yeah overrated and it's different the game's changed it's so generational yeah. how the games have i think it's hard to compare yeah what do you think daniel oh yeah no so i'm i'm with pat i think it's overrated i think it's i mean like so many of our questions we asked you it's contextual and situational and whatnot yeah. and i think that you know trying to compare guys from different eras and different organizations yeah. um you know i think it's it's a bit overrated but it's good for radio yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I mean, but that's the thing that I get. Uh, I don't know. I don't like these days that everything's like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, when they talk about LeBron, it's like when they lose a championship, it's just everything's on him. I, I just think it's not fair to say he he's lost six championships. Well, it's not a tennis game, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. There's other guys out there, and and uh, I just think that. You know, also in the NFL, they talk about, you know, uh, how many times has this quarterback beat that quarterback? Well, they're not playing defense also. And and there's, it's not enough, I don't know, just too much individual talk in team sports these days about MVP and what this guy did and that guy did. And so. Curious to hear your perspective, Coach, on this. If you had a player of like a LeBron James caliber, just like so overly talented as a coach, would it make more sense to just, yeah, let's simplify the offense and let's just give LeBron the ball and get out of his way? You don't, don't get me wrong. What I said before, I think, I think he's uh, amazing. I, I mean, he's literally the best point guard and the best shooting guard and the best small forward and the best power forward and the best center in the league almost, you know, all in, all yeah. in one. I mean, and that he's still going after all these years. It's, it's incredible. But I, I, I would say that uh, just as a general rule, I would say the ball got to go through him always. Yeah. Now, when I say always that, of course that doesn't mean always, but, but I just don't believe, I think that people are going to try and stop him. So it's going to make things easier for the other guys, but it's not going to be the other way around. You know, there's nobody he plays with that's going to make it easier for him really. Um, now maybe, uh, you know, the guy he's got right now does, but, but Davis, in general, yeah. I would like the ball to go through him all, all the time, you know, um, and like I said, all the time, of course, that doesn't mean literally all the time. But yeah, for the most part, he needs to be involved. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's crazy how what he can do so and what he can see. So, but I, I'm like you guys. I, I just think that how can you, first of all, you can never prove who's better, Michael Jordan or him. But it's different yeah. errors. And, you know, just, you know, when, when I think back to when I played college, um, the, the knowledge of, 
taking care of yourself both with nutrition and the weights it's just a completely different world now with regard to that completely different yeah so coach thanks for thanks for flipping the script and asking us some questions i kind of yeah. like yeah. that <laughs> now we know how it feels we know how yeah, yeah. A little, i got a little nerve-wracking <laughs> well um well thank you coach um we just have kind of one more question as we wrap things up with you and um, one of the questions we kind of like to end with or asking a lot of these coaches is centered around how you deal with failure or setbacks within the business and either a tough loss or don't get a job or teams not performing the way you want and what are some of the things that you do when you you know do need to bounce back from a tough game uh, personally and as an organization yeah but like you said it's it's tough and sometimes it depends on the situation i mean if if it's if it's uh, if you're coaching a club team and it's a league game uh, and you lose a tough one then you know a lot of times you can use it as a uh, a learning thing um, and it's maybe not quite as tough because there's another game coming up and and if you can learn from it then you know in the long run maybe it was a an okay thing but um, some of the national team losses where it you know it costs it's 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 not easy to get over and and uh you know there's sometimes you gotta wait literally you know a half a year before you play again to get it out of your system but you know you gotta you know watch the video and and try and learn and yeah try and improve those things the next time you get together and and uh and and go on um it can be very, I mean, the, the loss we had last summer in Switzerland when we had to, we could go there and lose by, by, you know, 19 and we lost by 24. Um, that was, that was not easy to get over, but, you know, I think we learned a lot from it and, um, and yeah, now we're trying to get back to, you know, fight our way back up to where we were a few years ago. Well, Coach, uh, once again, thank you very much for coming on and, and talking so many through so many concepts. And um, we love learning from you and talking to you. So thank you for the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Coach. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. So let's see how things go in Slovakia in, in a few weeks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and our newsletter where we have some fun and in-depth special editions coming up. You can find that newsletter at the top of our Twitter page. Have a great week coaching and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass.